My name is Penny Ferguson, and I'm founder and CEO of The Living Leader. And I'd like to welcome you to another podcast, where this time I am going to be having a conversation with the wonderful Paul Stobart, who I think I described at the end of my last podcast, I would describe really as a living leader. Um, I first met Paul 15 years ago when he was CEO of SAGE, and he will say that his true leadership journey started there. And in the last 15 years, I have been truly staggered at the way he has utterly embodied everything that he possibly can about how to be an outstanding leader and the impact he has had on individuals, on organizations, both as a mentor, as a CEO, and now also as chair of a couple of companies as well is amazing. And so I hope you enjoy listening to him. And I uh, would love to have some feedback at the end as to what ideas and thoughts you have taken from this, I don't, can't even call it an interview, this informal chat that I have with a lovely Paul. Hi, Paul. Great to see you. It's been rather a long time, actually, but it's great to see you. And I really appreciate your coming to Talk to me here. Talk to me first about what you consider leadership is and what its value is and what it's been to you. Well, I think I, I take the lead very much from, from the programme, which, as you have pointed out, I've done multiple times and I'm still learning every time <laughs> I go on it. There's more uh, that I need to take on board. As you say, leadership learning is, is a journey. Um, I think, the for me, the... The definition that you provide of, of leadership, that ability to influence somebody else um, or being in a position of influence over somebody else is hugely important because, because it signals an obvious but very important truth, which is that leadership is not just the vehicle by which a CEO or anybody else in the C-suite exerts their influence over the rest of the firm. It's actually just as relevant to somebody in a call centre, in the warehouse, in finance, because they are all, in different ways, exerting influence over other people, be that customers, suppliers, colleagues, peers, bosses, reports. So for me, it was, it was the universality of leadership and the, the way in which leadership behaviours permeate throughout everybody in an organisation and how everybody in the organisation can learn from those sorts of behaviours and make them into more enhanced people as individuals and better performers for the organisation as a whole. Does that make sense? Makes absolute sense. And I know that you never stop working on it, will never stop uh, your journey. So how long ago is it that you actually first did the programme? Um, it must be 15 years or so. Oh, my God, is yeah. it really that long? I think it long? is. I think it is, yeah. Gosh, have I known you that long? Yes. Time flies <laughs> when you're having fun. So what do you think? Go back to your very first experience of the programme. What do you think you took from it that very first time? Well, a apart from that, that breakthrough moment that, that leadership was, was not just about the top team, it was for everybody, Yeah. I think it was... It was, it was understanding the different modes of manager mode and leadership mode that, that I had spent most of my career to date managing furiously, <laughs> um, you know, instructing, telling, helping, I thought, by giving people edicts and other demands on what they should or shouldn't be doing, not realising that actually I was creating a... Uh, an environment that was not conducive to superlative performance, in fact, quite the opposite. Um, so understanding that manager mode is about driving people to perform to the optimum, but it is about control and has its place yep. from time to time, it's yep. very important that yep. you give that sort of direction, particularly in times of crisis or drama. You know, somebody needs to take action, yep. and make a decision and make it happen. But balancing that mode of behaviour with, with leadership behaviour, which is inspiring people to do it for themselves, which therefore is all about 
freedom and liberty and empowerment. And I think the distinction between those two modes of behaviour in my head was, was of enormous importance because I realised that I had been a manager par excellence <laughs> for my entire career and had hardly ever led anybody <laughs> using leadership mode. Uh, and so for me it was, it was a, a very powerful learning. And connected to that was the, was the recognition that the way I had been communicating with, frankly, everybody, my boss, my reports, my peers, was all over the place. I thought I was brilliant. I thought I was articulate, lucid and inspiring in my commentary. But actually the truth was I was all over the place. I was using flowery language. I wasn't reading the signals. I wasn't listening. I wasn't asking very good questions. I wasn't seeking feedback. I wasn't appreciating people positively or otherwise. I was living in my own world of <laughs> cocooned, flowery English prose, and I was getting nowhere. And, and this was a, another huge wake-up call for me. So those two things, really, understanding manager mode versus leader mode and the overlay of thinking about how you are communicating to make sure that messages are being received and understood and vice versa, that you are receiving and understanding the messages that you're being given. Those were, were of huge impact to me. You see, the interesting thing is, and this is what sometimes people get nervous about, when you, were, when you described that you were in absolutely wonderful management mode and you were at SAGE at the time, CEO of SAGE, you were still getting the results. See, that's the interesting thing. And people are apt to think, oh, my God, if I step away from that, will I continue to get results? How is that for you when you first thought, oh, wow? Because you were getting the results. Don't kid yourself. You were still getting the results. Yes. And I say yes in a, in a slightly couched way, deliberately, because it was getting harder and harder and harder to okay. get those results. Okay. So when I came into the role of, of running the, the UK and Ireland division originally, because I was taking over from somebody who'd run it very differently previously, um, there was a period of time where my style of manager mode and communication worked to shock the organisation to move forward and to perform. But as the years went by, it was getting harder and harder and harder to do, and I was acutely aware of that. Okay. So I think what the Living Leader Program did for me and for my leadership team and for many others within the business was to rethink and re-understand why we were doing what we were doing and to work very hard on communication behaviours so that we were giving people more time, more feedback, more appreciation, we were listening harder, we were more active in how we were doing what we were doing. We were taking the whole subject very seriously and that helped performance release into a much, I wouldn't say easy, it's never easy to perform well as an organisation, but it was, we could see how we were going to get stronger and better results. And I think it's, if, you're, if you're running a business that's 100 million going to 120 million in revenue, it's very different from when you're at a quarter of a billion trying to get to 400 million. I mean, the, the challenges are, are of an order of magnitude different. Um, and, and the same was true of Sage Group as a whole, as, as a, as a yeah. business. We were, we were going through tremendous change. So applying the lessons of Living Leader, thinking about communication behaviour differently, thinking about our own behaviour, manager mode, leader, leader mode and so on, was enormously helpful at that time. So what was the impact of then doing it the way you did in SAGE? What we, so we, we, we peaked organic growth um, at double-digit levels up to and including the, the recessionary years or the, the crisis, 2007-8. Um, um, now, in fairness, the period of time was, was during the Y2K yeah. era, which for a software company in accounting software was a, a slightly odd uh, environment. If you couldn't make a decent return during that period, you were never going to, ever. Yeah. But, but once um, the market had begun to penetrate, so everybody who was going to have business software had got it, 
the market became not about land grab, but about trying to encourage existing players to give up on their existing software and move to us. Much harder, much harder sell. Much more intelligent marketing required, much more smart thinking, innovation, yeah. innovation thinking, yeah. better propositions, more thought through, and above all else, real differentiation. And our view was that the only way we were going to differentiate, and this may seem paradoxical, but we felt the only way we could differentiate in a technology world was through people. And so for me, it was perfectly natural that the investment in leadership that I'd been through in the Living Leader program should be permeated throughout the entire organization or as far as we could take it. Yeah because the understanding of leadership behavior is back to what we were saying at the beginning about everybody has a position of influence over somebody yeah. in an organization, that those leadership behaviors, if lived properly, would, would help to deliver the kind of culture and the ethos and the environment that we needed to have in order to sustain our differentiation in the market through people and excellence in customer experience and going the extra mile and all of those very important things that made us as a technology company set apart from the rest. Impact? Uh, higher, higher revenues, sustained growth organically, um, which, again, in a mature market, it gets harder and harder and harder. The bigger you get, 10% sounds easy when you're small. When you're a, a, a mid-market growing to become a large corporate, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, and enhanced profitability um, to go with that growth in revenue. And wasn't one of the divisions that Jane was in charge of one of the ones that really took off? Yes. I mean, all the divisions did well. Yeah. Um, the, the accountants division in Manchester did particularly well. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, that was a business where we were, we were not a demonstrable number one. I mean, we were, we were equal number one in certain parts of the accountants software domain, but yeah. not everywhere. Whereas in our core business, we were far and away the market leader um, and again the drivers and the dynamics when you're far and away the market leader are different yeah. from when you are fighting for share with yeah. an equal and so in the case of the accountants division the growth there was really dramatic and uh, and I'm sure Jane would agree was in no small part down to the, the leadership uh, learning that took place over that period and how that then made itself manifest in terms of the financial and, and, and other results. But I think the other thing that's important to bear in mind is that it's not just about leadership turns into great numbers. I mean, it's true it does, but there are two other things that are really important in the middle. You know, for me, if, you're, if your people are really inspired by the higher purpose they're seeking to get after, which is a function of vision and strategy and all that good stuff, but equally believe that they're rated and that their feedback that they give and that the way they feel and the ideas that they have are taken seriously, that they understand what their role is in the organisation, that they can see how their job, no matter how apparently menial it may be, fits into the overall picture. Yeah. And they can see a line to the top and, a top and a line from the top to where they are. If all those things are in place, then people feel inspired. And if people feel inspired then they are going to give the customer a better experience. And if customers get a better experience, then customers will be more loyal. Customers will recommend you more to others. Customers will buy more again and again. And, of course, that is what leads to superior financial return. So for me, the leadership training creates a people culture that makes a difference, where people are inspired, which leads to the customer's being excited and believing that they were finally with a supplier that gets their needs and understands them and will go the extra mile for them, which means they're going to stay more loyal and buy more. And it's that that leads to financial return. If you make the mistake of thinking leadership equals financial return, it's a big mistake. Yeah. There is a sequence in my mind. It's very clear. It's about people, customer, and then money. 
do you believe if you hadn't brought leadership in in the way that you did that you would have had the same success honestly uh, no I, I can answer that question very honestly no there, there's no way we would have been able to sustain the growth over the, the long period that we did sustain it as I said earlier it was getting harder and harder and harder yeah. to push the business towards the sort of revenue growth aspirations that we had we wouldn't have been able to maintain that and I do think it's where it's quite an interesting one because you can get organizations that can be driven by really ruthless management and get the figures for quite a long time. And I, it's quite interesting how some people say, oh, well, they're very successful. I mean, they do it. And look at the culture there. But exactly what you're saying, will it continue to grow and is it sustainable? And I'm not convinced it is either. But you've, of course, been through experiences which indicates, no, almost certainly it isn't. And it's very easy to deceive yourself that, you know, we're all great. We're pushing the business hard. Let's, you know, screw it a little bit here and let's move that there and let's tighten things here. And aren't we great because we're growing EBITDA by 5 10 15% per annum? And each year it gets harder and harder and harder. And there's a reason for it. And the, and the reason for it is that it'll be that most of the people in the leadership team are behaving in manager mode most of the time. Most of the people in the leadership team will be spending all of their time on maintenance activity rather than developmental activity. They'll all be thinking they're terribly good. They'll be exerting theory X all over the place. The communication behaviours will have gone wrong. They won't be listening to each other. The board meetings will be mayhem. They'll be shouting and red behaviour going left, right and centre. <laughs> but it'll all be brilliant because the numbers are fine. Yeah. And, they've, and, and leadership teams like that will have forgotten about that sequencing I've talked about, about people, customer, money. Yeah. And will think that the harder we go, the more we can get EBITDA, the happier our shareholders will be. Well, sadly, many shareholders will be perfectly happy with short-term performance yeah. because short-term performance is all they're after. Yeah. But if the shareholders knew that that short-term performance was being secured at the expense of long-term sustained growth, they wouldn't be nearly as happy. Yeah. But it's the job of leadership teams to take responsibility and recognise that the balance between manager mode and leadership mode is what's required. And that to liberate an organisation's freedom to think differently and to innovate and to create is so critical. And you can't do that as a leadership team if you've got your head buried in routine. You have to. One of the great learnings for me of Living Leader was that the more senior you get in an organization, the more time you've got to find in order to give it back to the people in the business and your customers and your suppliers and other stakeholders. It's up to you to find the time to give back. Because it's by giving that time and by giving yourself time to think differently about how things could be done that you stimulate the new ideas that drive growth and superior performance over the long term. If you don't have the time to do that, you won't get it done. The thing that, um, of all the people I've uh, interviewed for this to come through um, onto the online living leader, the thing that I find fascinating is you can refer very knowledgeably as though you work with it to all the different bits of the program. You're referring to all the different bits all the time, which tells me that you've taken on every bit of the whole program. But that's because you went a bit further than just doing the program, isn't it? What was your experience of doing the masterclass? Well, so um, uh, it, was, it was fantastic, uh, the masterclass program. And I, I would... Um, I think there's several things about, we'll, we'll get on to the, the specifics of it, but there's several things about doing the Masterclass program that are, that are important. The first is, I think, setting the example. Actually, it, it, whether, you, whether you do brilliantly at the program or not so well, doesn't really matter. The fact that the chief executive has decided that leadership is so important and understanding the techniques, the tools, the ideas, the concepts that lie behind it is so important that he or she decides to take the program himself or herself, that is on its own a massive signal to the organisation that something's different. 
Um, I think the other thing, which is more personal, I suppose, is that there's, there's no better way to learn something than to teach it. And so going through that masterclass program embedded in me, I suppose, uh, a lot of the learning and the thinking. I mean, I still make mistakes. I still default to type. I still do all the things that I know I shouldn't do. But I hope that I'm more aware when I do that than I would have been had I not been on the masterclass program. But it, it's an enormously important way to embed the learning forever. You, are you still in touch with Claire? Claire Carter? Yes, yes. She's just been promoted again. Has she? Mm. European MD. So um, she lives and breathes it. So she did the masterclass with you. She still has half the posters up in her office. And uh, I spoke to her EA recently because she's, now she's just been promoted. She personally ran the program for her top team. Now she's been promoted. She's asked us, and we're just getting dates in the diary. She's asked us to come and run it for the European team. Right. Pro- probably in Portugal or somewhere. But her EA said to me, she is unbelievable to work for. She is wonderful. There's no question that people who really begin to lead in this way, nobody ever wants to work for anybody else. They don't. It's absolutely, which is wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it is really great. It's really, really great. So I thought you might be interested to... Yeah, no, I'm I'm delighted to hear it. There's somebody who walks and talks as well, which is great. So, Paul, you had that experience when you were in Sage. Yeah. Now, you did go to a company as group CEO... Well, I think you might describe the style prior to you as mm, not quite managerial, probably dictatorial might have been <laughs> more, more how one might describe it before you went. Tell me how you found it. Tell me how you found taking over from something so different. And looking back, are the things when you stepped into it you might have done differently at the beginning? Oh, yes. Um... Yes, I think there are quite a few things I would have done differently. So, so it was very true that the, 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 the culture prior to my arriving was, was very different. It was a um, uh, command and control. Um, it was what the shareholder wanted. Um, there, were very, there was a very disappointed shareholder in the, in the sense that the, the performance of the business had not matched expectations from the acquisition that had been made many years previously um, and it was a difficult situation which was why a new CEO was was recruited in in the shape of me um, but I found a, I found an environment that was really not great um, and it's it's funny when, when you're and I've been in this situation in the distant past when I've been working in an organisation where the culture is command and control. I mean, we've all been in that sort of organisation. What happens is that after a while, you just think, you know what? There's no point in my stepping out of line. Well, what the hell's the point of that? (laughs) So I'm going to keep my head down, I'm going to work nine to five, and I'm going to go home. And that's it. And and that's all I'm going to bother to do because if I raise my hand, it's going to get shot off or I'm going to get in trouble, and it's just not worth it. And, of course, that's no way for a business as a whole to develop itself at all if everybody's that constrained and controlled um, and in fear of the next command from on high. And I found the culture was very much like that. Even with grown-up executives who really should know better, um, they they were so used to that sort of environment that they had sort of given up mm. thinking differently. So, so, my, so I arrive on day one and, um, and I decide that I'll try some of the living leader techniques of, of making everything different. And so, um, as those who've been through the program will know, uh, the introductory session is a hugely important session. So, my opening, my first day with the team actually was a, was a leadership team and I gave them no context for this at all. Of course, with, uh, with the brilliance that I, that I have as an overall leader, 
and launched straight into I'll tell you what we're going to do today. I don't know any of you at all, but we're going to know each other very well in the next couple of hours. <laughs> I'm going to tell you all about me. So I, I launched into this story about, about me, and I was open and honest and straightforward and all the rest of it. And I, I became aware as I was looking around the table that jaws were increasingly <laughs> dropping to the floor with people thinking, oh, my God, this man has appeared from planet Zog. <laughs> He's speaking a completely different language. We have no idea what he's on about. This is extraordinary. So I made made the fatal mistake of not giving the right context to a a fundamentally important exercise. Now, I managed to rescue it um, as I was going along because I could tell that it was not going in the direction that I had hoped it would be. And we got it back on track. And actually, (laughs) I don't think anybody who was at that session will ever forget it. (laughs) Uh, for what came out but it was in one way it was a good thing because it was it was a shock treatment to say look I'm different I'm here to listen to what your stories are all about I value you as people as much as I value you as technical leaders of the business if we're going to work as a team we need to collaborate we need to we need to work as a team we need to respect and understand each other we need to recognize our respective strengths and development areas we need to give each other feedback we need to be open honest transparent all those things now i i don't think they'd had a session like that for a long time if ever (laughs) and and as a result it it was the short sharp shock that was needed to get the cultural journey in a different direction i think culture change can happen very quickly if you want it to yeah it's a matter of choice. It was interesting. I think you'd been there about six, may not be as long as that, but a few months. And you sent a couple of people on the program. I think your HR director was one of them, current HR director. And I remember it got to a point in the program where she went, now I understand what Paul is trying to do. I've been sitting here thinking, why won't he ever tell us to do anything? And I think I picked the phone up to you after that and said, Paul, you need to explain why you're asking them to come up with the ideas rather than telling them what to do. Yeah. They'd got so used yeah. to it that I think they couldn't understand it. They just thought you were weak. And yeah. then when, of course, she got it, and was it Christoph? Yeah, Christopher. Christopher got it. They suddenly said, oh, my God, now we understand. Now we understand. But it was fascinating, and it it does make it helpful for people who are watching this to understand that if you go back anywhere and you do things very differently from that which they're used to without giving a context and explaining why, people were waiting for you to tell them what to do Mm. and couldn't understand why you kept asking them what they would do. And they, they couldn't get their head around it. They thought either yep. you didn't know. Yeah. Um, and so just giving them a context is probably not a bad bad place to go to. No, it, it's, it's absolutely right. It's very fair. And I have made that mistake a few times because there's a sort of, um, there's this assumption in my mind that nobody will want to be spoon-fed some of the basics they yeah. must know it surely yeah so they'll understand that actually what i'm doing is i'm in leader mode here <laughs> but of course they don't understand that at all unless <laughs> it is spoon-fed i mean and i needed to be spoon-fed from the from the first program as you will no doubt remember and and vital it was too so no i think that's absolutely fair that the context should be given i think something that it's triggered in my mind by what you just said though is the and i want to find a way to be able to explain this properly is that the other thing that that those two individuals got from the program. Not only did they understand what I was banging on about, <laughs> but, but they also understood the power of time. Yeah, when the, the, the great joy of suddenly realising that manager mode and leader mode are different and that I need to balance my time more effectively and appropriately between these two modes and sometimes switch from manager mode to leader mode and back again in a matter of minutes. I mean, the, the, the great leaders with a capital L are those who know instinctively 
when to manage and when to lead. Yeah. yeah. And, and get the balance without him thinking about it in those technical terms right all the time. They're the great leaders. And I've been fortunate enough to work for, for one, or, one or two of those, one in particular. Um, but when you do get that balance right, what happens is that you find that you get more time back. Because when you're leading, by definition, you're inspiring people to do it for themselves. So they're doing it. You're not doing it. Mm. What you're doing is listening and appreciating and asking great questions, but you're not, you're not doing it for them. They're doing it. Mm. So because they're doing it, you're not. So you've got more time to do developmental activity or to lead somebody else. So what's interesting is you find as you look at teams of directors and people people watching the video might well want to ask themselves this very question, which is, you know, how, how late am I staying in the office? If you're staying late in the office, night after night after night after night, thinking to yourself, I'm doing a great thing here because I'm really working hard and I'm setting the right example, what it probably means is that you're, you're managing. You're in manager mode gone mad. <laughs> And actually, because you're probably managing pretty much 24-7, your people, slowly but surely, the lights are going out. They're not interested. They can't be bothered. They're just going to go through the motion. There's no point. And, and you get into that vortex, and it's a really bad problem. By the way, if you lead all the time, that's equally bad, in my view, because you create you chaos. You need both. Because nobody, nobody knows when a decision is going to be made. I mean, for goodness sake, if you ask me another question, I'm going to go up the wall. You know, I want to be told what to do. Yeah. So you have to get the balance right. Yeah. But if as a leader you get the balance right, I find you get time back. That's the great gift. And both Christopher and Caroline found that, did they? They did. All the senior leadership team, post the programme, were surprised that they were a, not working so late in the office. B, they had more time to do developmental stuff. And C, they had a much better work-life balance. Yeah, that's really interesting. So just tell me, having overcome the hurdle of nobody knowing what the bloody hell you were doing when you went in with this wonderful, new, empowering style, what was the impact in um, Tunstall? Um, well, we had a transformation programme to get underway um, and there was and there is no point in my view in in undergoing any kind of transformation of an organization until you've got the people agenda and the culture set in a way that's going to enable the transformation to be effective so it there are a lot of people related issues to sort up front engagement started to increase actually quite quickly um, and we could tell that the mood of the organisation was in a better place. There was more innovation. There was more stimulus of ideas. There was more feedback. There was more filtering of thoughts coming up the organisation. And, and you, it's, it's a bit intangible, but you can feel that when it's happening. And that led to the next important thing, which was an improvement in the customer perspective. I think the customer had been forgotten for a while. This sort of overwhelming focus on just driving numbers, numbers, numbers had okay. meant that the customer had been left to one side. So it was no surprise that we started to lose some business. So reinstating the customer and customer experience is vitally important. And measuring and monitoring both customer satisfaction and particularly net promoter so that we could understand the extent to which customers were prepared to recommend us to others gave us a real benchmark of success uh, along the way we removed a lot of the complacency and the arrogance that I think had crept in and that was part of the culture and it was certainly felt by the customers and the combination of getting the people agenda right and the customer agenda in better shape led to a return to growth so after three quarters um, we got the business back into organic growth for the first time in a considerable time wow. and sustained that through the rest of my time at Tunstall. And it was, it was modest. It was modest, single-digit revenue growth, but 
for many of the quarters involved uh, double-digit EBITDA growth. And that wasn't by concentrating on the financials. It was by concentrating on the primary levers, which are the people agenda and the customer agenda. Yeah, you've got so many examples of this. And it's been amazing to see it. Um, you know I rate you as one of the best leaders I know. So for me, it's an absolute pleasure to hear you talking about it in this way. So, Paul, the next challenge that you're just taking on is Zen, going into Zen, which is very different from what it is that you've done before. Very exciting opportunities. Um, how do you feel about that? And what do you think some of your challenges and opportunities are going to be there? Um, well, first of all, it's a, it's a fantastic business. I mean, it's, it's got a, a pride and a passion and an independence of spirit, which is remarkable and is entirely down to the, the drive and the passion and the fervour exhibited by, by the founder and, and current CEO, a chap called Richard Tang. And, I mean, he's built the business from nothing over 20 years ago, sustained growth every year, year by year, and instinctively has done so by adhering to a set of principles that he holds extremely dear, which without any leadership training at all are actually very much in sync with both the living leader philosophy and also the philosophy that I was sharing a few moments ago about people, customer, money. So, and, and he has these three very serious long-term objectives or values, as he describes them, which are happy people, happy customers, happy suppliers. And, and he doesn't mean happy in the sense of, isn't it nice to have a lovely time and be happy? He means, happy people means inspire people, means in pe- people who, are, who enjoy what they do because they know why they're doing it and why it makes a difference. It's exactly the kind of reaction from people that you would like to see be there as a consequence of living to the living leader way of behaving as a leader in the right manner. Um, Happy customers doesn't mean customers who are deliriously happy all the time. It means customers who are satisfied that they're getting the basics done really, really well. That when somebody needs to go the extra mile for them, Zen will. Um, that Zen will be proactive in thinking about their plight and where they are. So it's a great business, great growth story, a fantastic value set, um, and ready for the next stage of growth. And I think, and I think that's, that's where the attraction has been for, for me and in my discussions with Richard about where we go from here on in. Because the business is, is, is at a crossroads where it could continue to grow very nicely year by year um, for another 20 plus years I'm sure or more because it's got this powerful culture as I've tried to describe which which is is so attractive and seems to resonate so well with customers actually there's a bigger opportunity the market for connectivity services is is characterized by very large corporates who are beholden to the stock exchange and have to deliver short-term performance all the time and actually don't do a very good job, in my view, of providing the kind of experience that customers really want. Zen, therefore, is perfectly placed to move from being a niche brand to being a challenger brand over the period of the next five to ten years. And that's an exciting challenge. And I think taking some of the learnings that I've been able to accumulate over my career in taking businesses from 70 to 100 million to three, four, five times that size will be relevant to the adventure that is ahead. So um, it's, a, it's, it's a position I'm looking forward to taking with enormous enthusiasm. Um, and leadership, leadership behaviours, leadership experience, leadership training will be absolutely fundamental to making sure that we retain the people power that we have within the Zen business today so that that in turn sustains the customer belief that we are independent, we are real, we're not going to 
sacrifice everything that we've built over the last 20 years plus. We're going to keep going, enhance it, embellish it, make it even better. And that will lead to enhanced growth over the longer term. And that, for me, that's really exciting. That's really exciting for you because that's going to be taking what is really quite a small organisation in terms of people to expanding quite fast and saying making certain that culture comes all the way yeah. through is going to be key. Yeah. And, I mean, I have a fundamental belief that you can have the best vision and the best strategy in the world. If you don't right, have the right culture, you're pissing into the wind. You ain't ever going to get there. And so you're coming from a really great place, but my God, it's going to be interesting because it will grow very quickly uh, with that route. Yes. I'm going to ask, I don't say this is true of Zen, so please don't hear that I do, but it's a question that is quite important that I think people do need to hear. What are you going to do? Say, for example, you're in an organisation or you go into an organisation, okay, where you have a reasonable team and you know that you can work with them and get them aligned in leadership behaviours or whatever it is but you have one individual who people like and people admire because that individual is getting outstanding results but they're doing it in a style that's verging on dictatorial um, they're driving performance all the time and they're getting really good results so they're a big contributor to the bottom line mm. But it's a style that no matter how you begin to demonstrate the importance of doing it differently, and they don't shift. They still keep getting results, but they do it in a way that's totally, totally countercultural. What do you do? You have to take action. What Be action? And, and the, well, first of all, you've got to try and coach yeah. this star yeah. to perform and behave and communicate in a different way. Yeah. And, and if they're a really important player, keep going with that coaching as far as you can. But if they just don't get it and they ignore the learning and the coaching and the mentoring and they continue to plough a very different furrow in terms of behaviour and values, by retaining that individual in that position you are sacrificing any chance you have of getting the culture believed, the culture change believed within the rest of the organisation. It will, it will be seen to be superficial and cosmetic because despite all the great words and despite all the great programmes and despite all the great everything else, everybody knows that there's one person in the organisation who doesn't live by them at all and has been allowed to stay and to continue doing what they do Regardless, no one individual is bigger than any organisation. If I've learned anything in my 40 years of business life, it is that. You're constantly told that people are utterly irreplaceable and it would be a disaster if somebody let... Not true. It's not true. There are great people out there. There are great replacements out there. If somebody won't fit, and I'm a great believer in the power of fit, mm. then you have to move on it and you, you, you are much better off removing that problem from the organisation so that the rest of the organisation can be liberated and flourish. I'm glad you say that and it's interesting, um, obviously I won't name them but a client that we started working with quite recently, um, the person that they had as CEO of this particular division utterly didn't believe in leadership, employee engagement, anything and uh, for various reasons um, was removed and the chairman of the group knew that this was the star because the results didn't get rid of them and I think it's caused some of the problems that they're doing their best to counteract right now yeah. because he was in place for a long time yeah. and I'm convinced it's part of the problem and of course coming in now and bringing a different style You've got a lot of people saying, oh, my God, this is amazing, this is amazing, but at the si same time saying, do we really trust it? Because what yeah. it's, being, it's created is the team that were in place before have, through osmosis, acquired some of that style and probably aren't going to shift it quite quickly. Well, if we begin to take leadership down 
below the organisation and they don't walk the talk because of how they've been managed for so long, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it will be. It will be for that particular client. I think the... I suppose my advice would be that if you try and if you if you sustain a bad apple mm. for the long term mm. you're going to destroy everything yeah and of course as the <laughs> as the chief executive of a team you know if if i inherit a team and i i in hypothetical terms and i and i look at the team and i see one or two bad apples who are just not getting it not not with the program don't understand what we're on about just it's not that they're it's not that they're bad apples everywhere it's just they're bad apples in my particular bucket <laughs> they may be brilliant in another organization yeah and it's actually my job and my responsibility to help them find that other place where they can flourish but they ain't going to flourish here unless they conform to the culture and the value set and the understanding of of leadership and the power of people and how that flows through to customer and, and financial performance in the way that we've talked about. Yeah, I, I think it's so key. And I, I have to say, talking about culture, I do remember one experience I had. This was quite reasonably early on in Sage. I think you were beginning, I think you'd been through the program, not the masterclass, you'd been through the program, so you'd begun to get a real understanding what we were aiming for. And you asked me, I think it was a two-day session that you were running with the top, whatever it was, 70, 80 people. I can't remember how many, but quite yeah. a big group. And you said, Pen, will you come and do the afternoon on day two? So I said, yeah, sure I will. And I said, but I'd like to come and hear the earlier bits so that, you know, if I need to link anything or build on it, I can do. I don't know if you remember me doing this. It's my normal style. And I'd been listening to everything that was happening, lots of really interesting things coming out. But I heard so many times people in this group saying, you know, we know we need to do this, but we don't have the culture to support it. And, da -da. and so much of the time, yeah, and we're going to be beginning to do this, but we, you know, not sure we have the culture to support it. <laughs> I was sitting there and I got up after lunch and I said, I keep hearing this. And I, I probably use bad language. I'll be a bit politer than I would probably have used there. And I said, don't you get it? I said, everybody in this room, you are the bloody culture. Mm. I said, I keep hearing. We have, I said, you're the culture. Each and every one of you are the culture. And I almost bounced up and down, <laughs> saying to them, this is what it means. You choose what you want the culture to be. You live it, you breathe it, you demonstrate the behaviours. You're the culture. Choose it. Get it to happen. I remember you said to me, <laughs> you come to me after you said something along the lines, well, that really told us, didn't it, Pen? <laughs> do you remember that? I do. I remember it vividly. And it was entirely right um, to, make, to make the point. I, I, we'd, we'd got slightly lost. Um, and, and the obvious, it, it's, it's, it, it's finger-pointing, isn't it? It's somebody else's fault. It's not my responsibility. It's somebody else's. Yeah. We've really got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to do the other. Smog language, which I'm notoriously <laughs> bad at using far too often. Um, but, of course, the truth was that we absolutely were the culture. And I think that, that, that's why, and, and I remember, again, you told me this or shared with us a long time ago, the, the fact that if you really want to, Culture change can be very quick. Yeah. It's about choice. And it's about sustaining behavioural change in a top leadership team and making sure that that is made manifest and that people notice it, because they do, because they're not mugs. They see what's going on. They're always looking yeah. at behaviour. And so if you want to change the beliefs in an organisation, you know, Nail behavioural change first, and beliefs will shift remarkably quickly. Remarkably quickly. But the one caveat to that is, and I've seen this happen as well, back to the bad apple point, is that if you've got one member of the leadership team who doesn't 
show those sustained changes in behaviour, you won't get culture change. In fact, you'll get, it'll be worse because it'll, it'll feel like a fraud because people will say, well, hang on a second, those five leaders are all behaving differently, so clearly something else is going on, but the other one is behaving exactly the same way. So this is all a scam. What's going on? And people's scepticism and um, their, their ability to turn inconsistency in behaviour on its head to the business's detriment is really very clear in those instances. And I've seen it happen. So when you decide that you're going to shift culture by making your behaviours manifest, they have to be consistent across the piece. Otherwise, you'll lose it. So you're coming from a good place when you go to Zen if you feel the culture is largely there. I think that it's a very exciting time. And I have to say, Richard Tang impresses me with his passion and his commitment and what he's achieved so far. Mm. I mean, he has done amazing things. Mm. Absolutely amazing. And he's such a nice individual as well. His heart's in the right place. Heart's in the right place. And his, um, his, his commitment to the... The, the values um, is remarkable. It's absolute. And his, it's absolute. It is absolute. And his preparedness to take the long-term view, to do the right thing by people, customers and suppliers is really admirable. Yes, gonna, I'm going to be fascinated to watch this journey. Maybe... I really am going to be fascinated to watch this journey. It's going to be amazing. So let me just ask you one other thing. All we've talked about here is business. Okay, and you're saying however many, God, how many years ago that you did first of the programme. How do you think it's impacted your personal life, beginning leadership in its holistic sense? Um, I, I think, as would be the case for anybody who's been through the uh, Living Leader programme, it, it obviously has an impact on one's personal life. For me, <laughs> because as I explained right at the outset, I, I was in obsessive manager mode <laughs> in my entire career. I don't think I had had the time to even think about whether work-life balance was in the right place or even what work-life balance meant. <laughs> um, and I, I think one of the many things that Living Leader did for me was make me sit up and take notice. And, and I, that famous exercise of working out how much time you're spending on things. First of all, I discovered I was spending all my time on maintenance <laughs> and, and managing people to hell and back. And I was spending no time at all on the important things, like family and friends. And from a business perspective, developmental innovation you know, new strategic thinking. I wasn't doing any of that. So I was, I was not really doing any of the audiences I was supposed to be serving any favours whatsoever. <laughs> um, I would like to think it's better now. I mean, you know, it would be foolish of me to suggest that everything's marvellous and everything's always rosy because life's not like that. Life's difficult and complex and there are new challenges um, always thrown at one. So... Um, you know, and seeing one's children growing up, I, I have, as you know, two sets of twin daughters who are uh, approaching their teenage years, 15 months apart. So people listening to this will be, will be swooning in shock at the <laughs> idea of, of that challenge, which is ahead of my wife and I. Um, but, you know, it's... Um, so I, it would be foolish to say that everything was always fantastically brilliant and all, all the rest of it. Because life is complex, life is challenging. But living leader gives you the tools and the understanding and the context and the experience to be able to manage your way through that, to remind yourself, hang on a second, I'm, I'm spending way too much time you know, with business and not nearly enough time with my family. Um, and, and making sure that you get the balance in that part of one's life correct. What about, um, I, I was talking uh, to Anna earlier and saying when I brought up my children, I loved them so much I couldn't stop telling them what to do and giving them advice. <laughs> I mean, I was in management mode right up to the time that they grew up and 
when I really learnt this and realised that that wasn't the most useful thing to do, um, I see my children bring up their children very differently now. How much are you now able to get them to take ownership in the way you communicate at home? Um, I'd, I'd say when I concentrate on it and, and, and work on it properly, the results are staggering. I mean, it is undoubtedly true that the more I bark instructions about how they should or shouldn't be on any particular social media uh, application, sure as eggs is eggs, they'll be all over that particular application as quickly as possible and as soon as my eyes are diverted. Um, so the instructing, telling, I know best, you know, listen to me way of parenting, which is all of our default position, oh my. does not work. It certainly doesn't work for the long term. It might get, inst get short-term results, but it never gets longer-term sustained performance. The parallels are exactly the same between yeah. business life and, and parental life. Um, however, if you give your children a chance to think about things for themselves and invite them to take responsibility and listen and appreciate them, and not just appreciate them for doing something well, but appreciate them for being who they are yeah. and ask the right questions of them, which is really hard sometimes when you know what the answer is. <laughs> <laughs> but, but continue to ask the questions until you see the light go on in their eyes. If you, have, if you commit yourself to doing it that way, it becomes much easier and you get much better results. But no. it's hard. Yeah, I know. Because uh, when you really love them, you want them to do the right things. And so you can't resist saying, but if you do this, and I suggest you do that, and it, it's never easy. Okay, so, Paul, if you could in just one sentence, two if you have to, just say, if you were going to say to anybody why to go on the Living Leader Programme, what would you say? be a few sentences for me. Um, you'll learn an enormous amount about yourself that you didn't know before and therefore you'll have an action plan for your own improvement as an individual both in business and at home and in every aspect of your life which you would never get without the experience of the program the other thing that I would say which I think probably was so important to me was the learning and understanding about communication behaviours how your communication style as a leader of other people can have such an impact brilliantly when you get it right and appallingly when you get it wrong. <laughs> and very often I find people have no idea that they, and I certainly didn't, I thought my communication was brilliant and it was horrific. The program sorts all that out. It gives you the way through to a much, much better way of communicating for the rest of your life. I just do want to finish, and I want to make it very clear to everybody who's watching this interview that I do rate you as one of the best leaders that I know. You oh, are outstanding. Kind of you. And I know that people who've, who um, work for you, have worked for you, never really want to work for anybody else. <laughs> um, you truly are an example of a living leader, so I just want to say thank you very much, Paul. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. So the end of a very enjoyable discussion that I had with uh, Paul Stobart. And I really hope that you've taken away from that some of the things that I first talked about, which is the difference between management and leadership. And hearing how Paul in the beginning thought that he was an amazing communicator and actually, and he was and he still is. If you want, ever want him as a speaker, he's phenomenal. But it was all about going out. And as he would put it, it was all about me. So really recognising to go into the leadership is where it actually needs, the communicating behaviour needs to shift quite significantly to being about you. So much more about encouraging people to think for themselves. And I think that came through pretty clearly in my conversation with Paul. So I hope that you found that useful as an insight to just have a little look at how you're communicating at the moment and think about... Am I through caring for people just 
maybe giving a bit too much advice? Do I need to more encourage them to think for themselves? So that I've thoroughly enjoyed. So now it's going to be on to the next podcasts. And that will, again, it'll always be about leadership in different ways, shapes or forms. Hopefully that you will begin to identify the real difference between management and leadership, accepting that they're both good. However, which is probably going to take your company further and be much more sustainable. And that is if we begin to really think about being in the leader style as much of the time as is possible. So just join the next podcast and wait and see who's going to come next. I can assure you it will be somebody interesting where you will take some really key learnings away. Thank you. And please remember, if you want to give me feedback or you want to ask Paul any more questions or anything, please do just email me, penny at com, And I look forward to hearing from you.